Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. Mark 11, 1 through 11. Now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside of the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. So they let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their clothes on it and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, we come before you this morning as a community of people who are in need of you. You have already done so much in our lives. You've provided for so many of our needs, God. We know every need we have finds its fulfillment in you. And yet even this morning, God, we come to you with fresh new needs. There are new ways that we need you to work in our lives. There are new words, God, fresh words that we need you to speak into our lives. And so, God, as we come before you this morning with that united, hungry heart, we just invite you to be here, to speak to us. Jesus, we pray that you would um, enlighten our eyes and our understanding in your word this morning. As we study a, a relatively familiar passage to some of us, we pray that you would give us fresh eyes to see who you are, what you're doing. And ultimately, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us and work in this moment. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and take your seat. All right. Good morning. Hey, it's good to be with you guys. Welcome to September. It's wild. It's actually the second week of September, but still, welcome. It's good to have you back in September. Uh, crazy how fast this, this year is going. As Kyle mentioned, we have a lot of uh, exciting opportunities to connect with what God is doing here in our community uh, here as we get into the fall. I think we're getting into the fall. Is that a thing? Are we going to have that? We've got some exciting fall events planned and such, but for now, the big emphasis is on our soul's communities, as Kyle mentioned. Uh, make sure that you get connected to the body of Christ here, to the family of God, and that's one of the best ways to do that. And I love that he mentioned, too, our park meetups. A great on-ramp. Uh, it's super casual. There's no agenda. We literally hang out. We throw a Frisbee, and we keep our kids, you know, safe as much as we can. And so uh, it's, a, it's a good time. Come hang out with us there as well. 
Uh, my name is Andrew. If I haven't met you, uh, I'd love to. And uh, we have, for the past year now, been walking through the Gospel of Mark. It's one of the four biographies on the life of Jesus in the Bible. This is a historic first century eyewitness account that's written on the life of Jesus. Uh, most people would agree that the mind and the eye behind the Gospel of Mark, does anybody remember? This is old background stuff. Who is it? It's Peter. It's Peter himself, who many people think is sort of like telling the story, and John Mark, his young disciple, is sort of dictating, or Peter's dictating it, and John Mark is writing it. Um, but that's certainly what it is. It's an eyewitness account about Jesus. You know, here at Solus Church, we, um, we're Jesus people. Like, we're all in on Jesus. We think he's awesome. We would celebrate him, too, if he came riding on a donkey right now. Like, he's that epic. And we want to get to know him. We, we want to know more about him. We don't want to settle for some assumptions regarding him or his way in life. We want to come before him with teachable hearts and say, Jesus, lead us further into who you are and what you have for us. And so the Gospel of Mark is a great place to do that. We took a short break. We were uh, doing a little interlude series for four weeks. But here we are back in the saddle. Pun intended. Hello, I just came up with that. All right. Back in our series the way, learning from the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Now, here in Mark chapter 11, the narrative of Mark's Gospel takes a significant turn as we begin the final week in Jesus' earthly life. Chapters 1 through 10, the narrative starts with Jesus entering his public ministry, and it sort of follows mostly his ministry in northern Israel in the area of Galilee, but here in Mark 11, Mark starts to give all of his attention, and listen to this, it's six chapters that are all focused on the final week in Jesus' life. So we have, we have ten chapters covering three years, and now we're about to enter six chapters covering up to seven or eight days. So it's kind of an interesting shift. Uh, some people, because of this, have called Mark's gospel a passion narrative with an extended introduction. I like that. All right, so basically, guys, the past six months has just been a big introduction. Are you ready for the Gospel of Mark? I mean, that's like the idea. Uh, here in chapter 11, we begin that final week, the most significant week of any human in history. The final week of Jesus here on earth, going to the cross ultimately on Good Friday, resurrecting on the Lord's Day. But it all starts here on Palm Sunday. Here we are on Happy Palm Sunday. It's Palm Sunday in September today. And we have the familiar but important and significant triumphant entry or triumphal entry of Jesus. That's what's happening here on Palm Sunday. Now, um, so let me kind of even back up for a second, give you the title. What we want to work from each week is a different aspect of the way of Jesus. And so simply, uh, the passage here gives us the way that Jesus, we'll, we'll say this, the way he arrived. This is quite the arrival. I, I can't help but think of like UFC fighters when they're coming into the octagon and there's just all the moment, the fight's coming, but the anticipation is built by their arrival and their entrance. You know, you could really summarize the gospel of Mark into Jesus arriving with the kingdom of God. Jesus arriving with the kingdom of God. This is like the theme of Mark. Jesus shows up and he arrives in moments, he arrives in places, he arrives usually in broken situations, and when Jesus arrives, the kingdom of God comes with him. And whatever's broken is restored. Whatever's, whatever's covered in darkness is flooded with light. 
Whatever, wherever there's harm, Jesus brings healing. You just think of all the different stories in the Gospel of Mark, all filled with moments of Jesus arriving, and when Jesus arrives, he transforms. Can I just say that when Jesus arrives in your life, he transforms your life. When he shows up and the kingdom of God shows up, everything changes. It's just amazing. What a great truth that we've seen here in Mark. I think of Peter's mother-in-law when Jesus arrived in the room, how everything changed. I think of the, the man that we studied in Mark, I believe it was six, the demoniac in the cave, who was isolated from society, who was stuck in his broken spiritual condition, but when Jesus arrived. So many instances of this, and, and I hope this is something we could say about our lives, when Jesus arrived, right? When Jesus arrived, everything changed. Now, all of those moments of arrival in Mark are significant. I even think of the first one we studied. Actually, it was, I think, the first teaching we had in Mark, other than our intro one. We, we called it the way Jesus entered. So I'm running out of verbs here, okay? We're moving to arrived. But the first teaching was the way Jesus entered. We looked at Jesus arriving on the scene of his public ministry. And these are all significant arrivals, but none of them, listen closely, none of them can compare to this moment here in Mark 11. This moment, again, here in Mark 11, marks a moment that's more significant than any other entry in history. Until Jesus, of course, returns again. This arrival right here, it's so significant... Jesus riding into Jerusalem, arriving here on the scene. It's so significant that it's one of the few stories in the life of Jesus that all four gospel writers include in their narrative. They're like, we, we all got to get this. As they're kind of combing through and the Holy Spirit's inspiring them to, to pen their biographies, this is so important that it's included in all of them, this arrival of Jesus into Jerusalem. Let's talk about a few key reasons why. This moment, this arrival is so significant. We'll start with this. The first reason, and we're going to ask some classic journalist questions here. The first reason why it's significant is because of who's arriving. Who's arriving? Well, certainly, you know, VBS Sunday school answer to this is Jesus. We know that. Okay, you get an animal cracker. Jesus, all right? But this isn't Jesus, local neighborhood prophet, under the radar, kind of local hero, at this, this moment in Jesus' ministry, we could simply say that Jesus is nationally known. He's famous. Just prior to Jesus arriving here, who is this Jesus? This is the Jesus, and there's, there's rumors that are like spreading around town. This Jesus we've heard of, apparently, Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus had died, and Jesus called him out of his deadness and his grave. And now, there's, look at, Lazarus is over there eating some hummus. This is crazy. This is who's arriving. So we have to set the scene. There's a buzz around Jesus. We, we would say in our culture that Jesus is hashtag trending. Okay? Thank you. All right? Uh, you, you get a picture of this in Matthew's version. I love how Matthew describes this entry. It says that when Jesus had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved. By the way, is that not a great vision for our community? We just want to see our city moved by the, the presence of Jesus. When Jesus came into Jerusalem, the whole city was moved, saying, who is this? Who is this? And the multitude said, this is Jesus. This is Jesus whom you've heard of, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. So that's the first reason why this is significant, because of who's arriving, because of the buzz surrounding him. The second reason why this is significant is because of what's happening. What's happening here? Well, Jesus... 
is entering the scene here in a way that's unorthodox to the reputation of his ministry. If you remember any of the moments in the Gospels leading up to this point, the modus operandi of Jesus up until this point has largely been, how do I do my best to keep things under the radar, right? He's not trying to come on the scene and blow up and fill stadiums, you know, and do big, you know, healing crusade things. He's just being faithful about his father's business. He knows he's not here to be enthroned simply in a national way, but his ultimate goal is to be enthroned upon the hearts of all people. And so he's coming to do the father's will. And you'll see Jesus from time to time when he heals someone or he delivers someone or he, or he blesses someone, he'll tell them, like, don't, don't tell anybody about this, okay? Don't blow this thing up. Don't tweet about it. Don't post it. Like, keep it under the radar. And he'll say this, my hour has not yet come. You could say here in Mark 11 that Jesus' hour has come. The time is ripe. And so what a different, almost like version of public Jesus. Typically entering quietly, typically leaving quietly, typically keeping things under the radar. And here Jesus is coming into Jerusalem with a parade, with a, with a whole crowd. This is like a championship team that does their whole thing and they're up on the top of the bus going through the city. I mean, this is not secretive or subtle at all. And Jesus is not stopping it. He's all about it. This public entrance, that's what's happening here. Now, both culturally and theologically, there's more going on in this moment than Jesus drawing a lot of attention to himself. What's happening both culturally and theologically is Jesus is making his own, listen, royal procession as king of Israel. Everyone there knew the scene. They knew what was going on. They knew the promises. They knew the Messiah would come. And there's buzz. They're wondering, could this be the one? Is this the Messiah? And Jesus doesn't pull any punches here. He's very public in the way that he enters the city, in his very posture, his very means of transportation. He's, he's being crowned here as king. Now, that's who's coming. There's what's happening. Another reason why this is significant is because of where it's happening. Okay, this isn't Jesus riding a donkey, you know, into Boca Raton. Okay, I'd love that. This isn't Jesus riding a donkey even into northern Galilee. This is Jesus riding on a donkey, making his public appearance. There's a big parade. There's a big almost show and event surrounding Jesus coming into Jerusalem, the city of David, the center of Israel's worship. Now, what makes the where so important, I want to point this out too, is the when Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem here at the time of Passover. So in the the Hebrew calendar at the time of Passover, what you would have is you'd have all of God's people in Israel make their pilgrimage and their way towards Jerusalem with their temple sacrifices. Some uh, scholars have pinned down, and this is kind of mutually agreed upon, that it's somewhere around the number of like 250,000 lambs that would have been sacrificed at this point in history. And as these lambs are being brought in and, and all these families are coming with them, if you think like one lamb per family, we're talking like a million people. They estimated that the population of Jerusalem would, would at this time as Jesus is making this entrance, it, it triples, nearly triples around this time. It's like Boca in the winter is essentially what it is, okay? There's all sorts of like Galilee license plates, you know, that, that don't know how to use their turn signal. Um,
who's entering the famous, the widely known and honored King Jesus? What is he doing? He's making a royal procession publicly. He's not pulling any punches. He's not silencing anybody praising him. He's turning up the volume. Where is he entering? Jerusalem. When is he entering? The time of Passover. The city is abuzz with activity and people. And, and let me say especially spiritual activity. And what makes this moment even, it gets even more significant as you go through these journalistic questions. The next question is, how is he entering? Jesus is entering, we'll say, messianically. Jesus is entering just as the prophet Zechariah promised God's people their Messiah would come. How is Jesus entering? Well, just as Zechariah said, Zechariah 9.9, rejoice greatly. This is why everyone's singing and partying, by the way. O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. He's lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, a little context here, and maybe we understand this from just modern movies and our own study of history. Um, in that culture, anytime some sort of royal figure would enter the city, the thing that you would want to pay the most attention to is the vehicle of transportation that he's chosen. Back then, there's no e Uber, you know, or like special limousine service. There's different animals to choose from, and those animals signify different things. They communicate different messages. If a ruler arrives here, notice this, on a donkey. It's a, it's a disarming symbol of peace. I'm coming to you not to make war against you, but to make peace with you. And maybe someone just needs to hear that today, that God has not come to make war against you. He's come to make peace with you. What good news. Jesus, came, he comes to your life, the Bible says this, gentle and lowly. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. I'm not angry and bitter in heart. I'm not here to judge you and make war against you. I come with terms of peace, and that peace is going to be my blood that I shed for your sin that reconciles you back to me. Isn't it good news that Jesus came on a donkey, that this shows who he is? Now, inasmuch as the donkey is a symbol of peace, we would also note that in history, if someone arrives on a horse, it's a whole nother message, a whole nother level, as they say. It's a symbol instead of, as we said, a symbol of war. Someone shows up on a horse, they're, they're there to throw down. They're there to conquer. They're there to defeat. They're there to dominate and overrule. They're there to assert authority over those that they're, um, they're, they're entering into. Um, I want to point out that um, Jesus will come again, and he won't be coming on a donkey. When you read the book of Revelation, how this whole thing wraps up, Jesus rides, not lowly and gently, but he rides as a, as a one true authoritative conqueror of evil. In the end of all days, we see Jesus returns on a white horse. There is a time of judgment coming. I think that can be sometimes the danger with like, yeah, gentle and lowly Jesus. I'll just kind of get to gentle and lowly Jesus when I want to, and I basically will make light of my sinful rebellion against him, and there's a danger there as well. God is just, yet he is mercy. And he's approachable. And he wants to make peace with you. And he actually has provided a way for you to make peace with him. So how Jesus is entering is so significant. Jesus is coming to establish his kingdom. He's the king and the kingdom comes with him. And it comes in the form of peace and salvation and joy. This is how Jesus comes into our lives. And lastly, I'll say this. We talked about who's coming, Jesus, what, where, when, how. 
And this ultimately leads up to why. <laughs> why is Jesus entering Jerusalem here? The way he is, when he is, as he is. And the why is actually connected to something that Jesus has been speaking about. Um, there, there are three different instances up until this point where Jesus takes a moment in teaching his disciples or speaking with his disciples to, to try as best as he can to his followers who tend to be a little fuzzy. We, we takes, tends to take us a little while to get things, spiritually speaking. That's just me, maybe. Anybody else? You with me? Like, oh, Lord, that's what you were speaking to me 10 years ago. I get it. You know, that's how I can feel sometimes. All right, but with the disciples, it's the same way. And so there's three different occasions where Jesus wants to make clear to the disciples what he's come to do and what his future is. The future is not a throne in Israel that the disciples get to sit around and, you know, leverage their friendship with Jesus to get, like, attention and fame on their own. But Jesus has told them th on three separate occasions uh, what he tells them here, just in the previous chapter of Mark 10, that while they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, Jesus was going before them. They were amazed at what was happening, but they were also afraid as they followed. And they took the, Jesus took the 12 uh, aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. And he tells them this, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. Here's, here's why we're going to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. Go get my donkey. It's like the disciples are like, what? This was not what we were anticipating, Jesus, but this is why Jesus comes. God didn't send us a politician. God sent us a savior to save us from our ultimate need, which was our very sin and separation from him. This is why Jesus is coming. He's predicted this moment. And just think about this. What courage Jesus had here. Knowing what awaits him. It makes sense, right? As Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood, knowing the future ahead of him. I mean, just the, the, the courage to, to walk through what God has put before you, trusting him. And to go forward knowing what's ahead of you. It makes sense that the disciples were afraid. So, so listen again. That is why the way Jesus arrived here is so significant. That's what's happening in this moment. This significant arrival of the kingdom of God breaking in through King Jesus, being established there in Jerusalem, not through a physical throne, but through going to the throne almost of, of the cross, giving his life through terms of peace to save Israel, to save them from their greatest need which wasn't just the Roman occupation, it was their own sin. Now, as we look back even through the, the narrative we read, I want to tackle then now kind of the second half here. I want to look at three aspects of this arrival that I think can relate to us applicably today. Write these three things down. We see these three things in the narrative that we read. But now that we got kind of the weight of the significance of this moment, there's three things that Mark chooses to include as Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem. Mark focuses on the preparation of Jesus' arrival. Mark gives special attention to the celebration of Jesus' arrival. And then Mark ends off with giving us a, what seems like an anticlimactic moment of the culmination of Jesus' arrival. The preparation, the celebration, the culmination. Let's start with the preparation of his arrival. 
But let's see how the arrival of Jesus is prepared here. This is such an incredible moment that makes me wish I was a first century disciple and I could have been a part of this, okay? We'll settle for the 21st, but check this out, all right? It says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethpage, we see the preparation that Jesus has for his arrival in Jerusalem. They were at Bethpage and Bethany. These are just east of Jerusalem. You have the Mount of Olives between them. These are two towns just nearby. Bethany is where Jesus, that was kind of like where Jesus had his ministry stay. That's where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, his close friends, were, were from. This is where he would often go to retreat and recharge. He's hanging out in Bethany per usual. And what does he do? He sends two of his disciples in preparation for his arrival, two unnamed disciples. We're not sure who they were, but they've been given the task, the special task, of sort of being like Jesus' valet boys, okay? You're going to run and go ahead. You're going to run an errand for me. Go get my vehicle. They're like, your vehicle, Lord? Okay, you're going to send us to get your vehicle. How do we go about retrieving and commandeering your vehicle? He's like, I'm so glad you asked. He said to them, go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a cult. Now, there's cults everywhere, by the way, in this, in this country, in this area. So this is unique direction without a lot of details. But here's what I want you to do. Just trust me. You ever heard the Lord say that to you? Just trust me. Go into the city. And as soon as you enter, right when you get in there, don't go too far. Don't take 10 steps. Like right when you get in there, you'll find a cult tied. And this is a cult that's unbroken. No one's ever sat on it. And that culture, an unbroken cult, was often reserved for royalty. So Jesus says, when you find that cult... Here's what I want you to do. I want you to steal it. Now, we don't know exactly the circumstances surrounding this, neither do the disciples. Did Jesus call ahead? Is this kind of like, you know, back then Uber style? Like, you know, I need to, you know, I need to ping someone to get my cult right there. We don't know. But all Jesus tells them is you're going to find this cult, loose it, and bring it. So we're going to, so, so we're going to go. We're going to find a cult. It's going to be tied up to somebody's property, and we're just going to, Take it. And he goes, don't worry. I've got a plan. If anyone says to you, why are you stealing my animal? Just tell them, the Lord has need of it. And you'll be set. I don't know if you've ever tried this. This doesn't always work, okay? When I try to eat food off my wife's plate and I say, babe, the Lord has need of this. Let me just get a bite of that. It doesn't fare as well. You know, if you were to make your way down to Meisner Park on a Friday evening and pull up there to Max's Grill and just go to the valet and say, I need a Colt, I need a Ferrari, let me get that right there. And they say, sir, what are you doing? You say, listen, the Lord is in need of it. Now, this doesn't typically work. So just a, such an awesome moment. I love Jesus. Part of me feels like he just wants to test their faith a little bit. Do you trust me? I know it sounds wild, but I need you to trust me. And again, because you're not going to have all the answers you have enough, you may not have enough details to understand the full story. Ever been there? You may not have enough info to know the front, the back, the end, and all the reasons for why God is doing anything, but you have enough direction to obey. You have what you need, which is the direction. This is often how God will lead us. He'll give us direction without all the details. Go and trust me. Go and follow me. And just trust me with the rest. And so look at their faith. By the way, faith is displayed and trust is displayed ultimately in obedience. It's one thing to say, God, I trust you. It's another thing to trust you with my life and go and do the thing you've called me to do. So they went their way. 
And they found, as Jesus said, they would. They found the colt tied by the door on the outside of the street, and they loosed it. And maybe they're hoping they don't have to interact with anyone, so it's not socially awkward because they're stealing. And so they're like, okay, I think we're getting away. But then some of those who stood there, they go, what are you? Hey, that's Bill's. What are you doing to Bill's colt, okay? What are you doing? Loosing the colt. And they spoke to them just as Jesus commanded. They said, the Lord is in need of it. Is that a code word? Do you know what I'm saying? Does this make sense? We don't know exactly what's happening there. But they give that, that response that Jesus gave them, and it says they let them go. So, so God is sovereign even over this moment here. It says that then they brought the cult to Jesus, and they threw their clothes on it, kind of made a saddle for him, and he sat on it. Wow. Now, there's a principle, even in the preparation of Jesus' arrival here. As we, are, as we look on at this story, it might just seem insignificant. A couple errand boys going to steal someone's cult for Jesus. There's a principle here, and I want to remind you of a principle that we see all throughout God's word that's illustrated beautifully here in Mark 11. Here's the principle. God provides for his will. Just sit on that for a second. God provides for his will. That's what we see happening here. Hey, trust me, it's not up to your, your job is not to provide and supply the provision. Your job is to receive it and trust me. Your job is to go in my will. Your job is to be in my will. In fact, in fact that's the task that we have as Christians. You're not called to be the provider of your life. We can only do that so much. In fact, there's a, there's a lie to even think that the, the results of our lives is because of us in the first place. You and I are not Jehovah Jireh. We're not the providers. We're, we're, the, we're those that receive blessings from grace. And, and what we need to do, we're not responsible with the supply. We're responsible to make sure, first and foremost, what Paul prays for the church in Colossians. He says, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard of it, we don't cease to pray for you and to ask that you would be filled. What a great prayer. God, may we be filled with the knowledge of your will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. This is what we need. God, I, I know my tendency is to go my own way. So, God, would you just, as I align myself with your word, which is the best compass for the will of God, and I just open my life up to your spirit and community, would you fill me with the knowledge of your will? And, God, as scary as it may be, and as much as I might not understand how it's going to be possible to do the thing you're calling me to do, that's not on me. That's on you. You're the provider. I'm called to follow. I'm called to be obedient. Look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This is a brand new verse. You've never heard of this before. i got a new one for you today. This is, this is one of those that needs to get dust off because we're way too familiar with it. We need to zoom back and actually put our lives in the middle of it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Well, if I do this, then maybe I could work it out this way. Just seek to be in the will of God. Do, be faithful to what he's called you to do. He'll provide for his will. Trust in him with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. He's the faithful one. And this, this brings up a constant war and battle that we find ourselves in from day to day where we try to, we try to get to the end result through our own smarts, our own wisdom, our own analysis. Okay. You getting where God has called you to go is going to be because of him. It's not because you were smart enough or you thought enough or you, you, you found the hack, the life hack. Okay? Here's the life hack. Trust Jesus. That's the life hack. I can't tell you how many, 
how many temptations there are and there, there were, um, I think specifically when, when God made his will clear to my wife and I and our core team that we were called to launch out into the unknown and start a church from scratch, to walk away from the opportunity for funding and to just let Jesus be our provider and go do the thing that was, was stupid in the eyes of man, as stupid as stealing someone's Ferrari at, at Meisner, you know, like, and all along the way, there's so, much, there's so much temptation whenever God calls you to something impossible to scheme your way through it. Like, like Abraham, God's like, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. And he's like, well, Lord, you're certainly not going to use, you're not going to use my love, uh, Sarah, for that. I know what I'll do, Lord. I will scheme for blessing. I'll go into Hagar and, God, I got this. Rather than trust you and you're the hero, I'll take matters into my own hands, the way of the flesh, rather than the way of the spirit. And, and I'll lean on my own understanding. And I'll be my own provider. Um, there's so much temptation to do this. I, I, I tell this story, I think, once a year as a testimony to the faithfulness of God. And so if you've heard this five times, here's the sixth. Uh, but... When we first started the church, we, had, um, we were at a time where we had, um, we had a baby on the way. We started with no network. We, 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 we literally are just following Jesus into what he's calling us to do, which was a full step onto the Red Sea, like full step of faith. And there was such a temptation in that season. I don't know if you, I can still find myself here, where we can live from a place of lack. You ever live in lack? Never having enough spiritually, physically, circumstantially. God, if I only had what they had. If I don't, you, know, you know what I'm saying? And so there's such temptation in times like this where we were called to trust God's will to live from a place of lack. And when you're living from lack rather than abundance, where God is your provider, you'll scheme. And I remember um, this was August 2017. I just stepped out. Um, this was all new. And it was the Saturday before our first prayer meeting and core team meeting, and which was at the Steffer home. We started a Bible study and a prayer meeting in the Steffer home. And we, like, to have the Steffers, by the way, is to have everything. They're the best. But other than the Steffers, we had nothing. It was like, I have my Bible. I was like, I'm ready to start a church. I got a Bible, okay? Which is, turns out it's really all you need. Hello. Okay, but we were going to the. We were going to be having our first meeting there on Sunday morning, and I'm driving home on Saturday. I'd come, I was studying at, at the Starbucks in Miser, prepared my sermon. I, it was like in my mind, there was going to be a thousand people there in that home. You know, I was like fired up. I was like ready to go. And uh, on the way home, I was driving past. Well, on the way home, I was like, I need a podium. You can't. You're not a preacher until you have a podium, right? Like that's what I've heard. That's what I think at least. Like I need something to pound on and be angry at. You know. Um, and I knew that they had, like, a little stool, but I didn't want to be the guy that's using a stool for, come on, right? Like, and so on the way home, I remember I'm driving by where I used to be a youth pastor, used to be a youth minister, and I'm driving by my old youth room. Now, I know that youth room back, forward, all around. Nobody, nobody knows what's, like, I haven't been there for a while, but I know where everything is in there. And I know we've got three podiums in there. I could loose those things, untie them, and say, the Lord has need of this. See you later. I could do that in a moment. I, people don't even know those podiums are in there. And I remember going, like, that's what I'll do. The, you know, they've been, the church has been a blessing to me, and I'm just going to, you know, they won't mind. You know, the Lord has need of this, right? And so I'll just go in, and 
And I hear the, the gentle, corrective voice of the Holy Spirit say, you're scheming. And I heard God say, not that God won't lead you to do things, by the way. Don't hear me out. But here's what God said to me. Have you prayed about this? Have you brought your need to me before you started scheming for how you're going to find it? And so I, I, I thought of Hebrews 11.6. I'm driving home. I thought of Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so I just said, God, I'm going to pray with that kind of faith. Lord, um, I'd really like a podium tomorrow. And I did like the self-defeating thing. I know I don't need one. And I get a stool. And I, all right, okay. But the Lord's like, just shut up. Like, you know, like. Ask me what you need, you know? He didn't literally say shut up, but you get what I'm saying, right? And I just said, Lord, it'd be really nice. And so I'm just going to trust you. that I, I'm going to trust you that if you can provide for my sin, you can provide me a podium. So this is um, a true story with, with multiple. I know pastors love to catch real big fish. And so I'm, I promise you, you can validate this with my family and those that were around. I pull into my dri driveway. And as I pull into my driveway, we got pretty close with our neighbor. It was a grandmother who took care of all six of her grandkids, and we like, kind of like adopted their family in our hearts. And, but her son comes out, and I'm, pu I'm pulling my drive. I'm getting on my car, and I see him coming across his driveway with a wooden podium in his hand. And he goes, hey, my mom told me you were going to start a church. You know, do you need this? This, this, is, this is the first podium. That, that we had as we started the church, I called, this is really the saddest part, I called Kyle this morning, like, hey, do we know where it is? He's like, no, nobody knows where it is. And so, maybe my podium was so holy it got raptured, I don't know, and it's like, maybe Gabriel's using it right now in heaven, who knows, to lead the songs of heaven, but, okay, best part of the story, my neighbor's name was Jesus, that, that, Jesus gave me my podium. That's the cherry on top, isn't it? Yeah, this isn't a story about how much faith Andrew has. I don't tend to lean into faith. I, I need the gift of faith to trust God. God's ability to do it better than I could figure it out. Let this be a testimony, a reminder that God provides for his will. Stop striving. Start trusting. Release the reins. Just say, God, I'm just going to be in your will. That's the sweetest place to be, God. Not in my will with plenty and prosperity, but in your will, in a place of trust. God provides for his will. Amen? Hey, we also see in this story the celebration of his arrival. We see the preparation. This, this, this cult is retrieved. It's so beautiful. It's so uh, almost humorous. But as we read there, they, they then bring the cult to Jesus and they throw their clothes on it, and, and Jesus sat on it. And now is the moment where Jesus is going to make his arrival on this cult that they've retrieved into Jerusalem. And uh, the Gospel of Luke and Matthew also tell us that there are just multitudes around Jesus in this moment. Multitudes of his followers who have, who have like, it's almost like, even though Jesus' fame was spreading, because people couldn't help but talk about Jesus, which is a thing that should happen. I heard one pastor say, like, back then Jesus says, tell no one, and they tell everyone. Today he says, tell everyone, and we tell no one. So we've got to fix that. Back then his fame is just blowing up and spreading. But there's still, I imagine in the culture, because they want to honor Jesus, there's this bit of restraint. But now, like, the, the parameters are off, and the praise is going to come. 
And, and this is a, a celebration. These are, these are people who know who Jesus is. And when you know who Jesus is, you celebrate him. That's what happens. To know Jesus is just to celebrate him and just be like, he's awesome. And that's what happened. I mean, that's literally this next moment. Like, I want you to think confetti and streamers. This is a celebratory moment. And notice how they're celebrating him. This is such a beautiful picture here. As Jesus, it's almost like this royal procession and parade. As Jesus is making his way in, let me say, this is Jesus as he should be, celebrated by man. Jesus as he should be. It says, many spread their clothes. They saw the disciples put their clothes on the, as the saddle. Many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So th- th- like, this is um, a true celebrity, right? A celebrity is someone that culture celebrates. Jesus is the true celebrity. He's getting the red carpet. They're taking their very clothes, their very garments that are valuable to them. We're not talking about, like, let me just take off my white tee and throw it on the floor. I got a sock here, too. Okay, that, that's not what this is. This is people in that culture, your, your garments were some of your most valuable possessions, and we're laying it all at the feet of Jesus, paving the way for him. This is symbolic of what you would do for any royal figure that you honor. If it wasn't a royal figure that you would honor, you wouldn't put your clothes on the ground, you would spit on the ground. And that's not what they're doing. They're, they're saying, you're va- they're, they're honoring him, they're celebrating him. Uh, we see the palm trees that... That's the, the imagery we get for Palm Sunday now in our, in our day in the Christian calendar. And palms, uh, palm branches were um, sort of like a symbol of Jewish nationalism in that culture. They symbolized joy and salvation. Um, it was, you know, I guess a lot like a bald eagle in our culture. I don't know if that's actually true, but I'm just going to move on from that because that's probably going to go in a bad direction. But we see them just honoring Jesus. L- look at them celebrating Jesus. They're honoring him both in word and deed. Then those who went before him and who followed cried out, saying, and they start just praising him and blessing his name, quoting from Psalm 118, Hosanna, save us now, Jesus, save now. We shout, Hosanna, save us, God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This is amazing. Jesus says he should be celebrated by man. They're praising him in word and deed. Both, listen, for who he is, he who comes in the name of the Lord, he's the king. They're, praise, they're celebrating Jesus for who he is. You're the king. And they're celebrating him for what he brings. You're the king that brings the kingdom of God here on earth. What we were created for, what we're longing for is the kingdom of God. And it's the king of the kingdom of God. So, so they're celebrating Jesus, confetti and streamers. Now, I want to point out that as this celebration is happening... There are other responses in the crowd. Unfortunately, not everybody is showing up on Sunday celebrating Jesus. Not everyone, let me say this, not everyone who even shows up on Sunday is celebrating Jesus. And in this crowd, there's, there's, there's a variety of alternative responses to Jesus. While some are there to celebrate, let me give you four other words. There's others that are there, and they're kind of just there to spectate. We know they're there. We know Jerusalem is busy with people. And they're not so much participating in the worship of Jesus. They're just kind of there to spectate, to kind of look on at Jesus' things. This is, a, By the way, this is a waste of Christianity. Do we know this? This is a, wa- this is a waste of being, a, like, as a functional church member, to just be a spectator and to come to church and just spectate how the church worships, to spectate the song. I'm here to spectate. It's like you're not that important. 
We're not here to, to have our spectacles be on the, the event. and the, it, it can be so easy to just come into churches with that spectator mindset. And that's what's going on here. There's people, they're not engaged and participating in the worship of Jesus. They're just there to spectate. Other people are there, and what they're doing is they're there to allocate. So they're like, to allocate, the idea is they're like categorizing Jesus. Give it a second. We're good? Okay. They're, they're there to, take, to kind of take Jesus, and they go, we recognize who he is, but we're not necessarily celebrating him. There's people with that same heart in the church today, too. We're not worshiping Jesus. We're just kind of allocating him as like, oh, he's a good guy. He, he's worth my Sunday. I'm a Christian. I check the box. I've allocated Jesus over here to this category. He's not my whole life. He, I don't let him come into my personal life and my pet sins. I don't let him talk about how I treat my husband or wife. I don't let him speak into how I handle my business. But I just kind of allocate him over here. I'm not celebrating him. I'm allocating him. And then there's people there who are simply, and they're like, they're tolerators of Jesus. This is like our favorite cultural value, too. Have you noticed this? Tolerance. Tolerate. Why don't we just... It's like, that is your standard of love, by the way? Tolerate each other? I want to do more than tolerate... Like, hey, I love you so much that I'm going to tolerate you. Why can't Christians be more tolerant? It's like, that's love? Tolerance? When you see the scripture, you see love is so much broader and deeper and bigger than that. Certainly there's a sentiment to say, like, I'm going to be patient, I'm going to be kind with people that don't see the, same, the world the same way that I do. But to settle for tolerating Jesus, like, I'm just going to tolerate him and his followers, just to miss all that he came to give you. Jesus didn't come to be tolerated, he came to be celebrated. And lastly, we even see there's a group of people here that are there, they're not, they're not there to celebrate Jesus, they're there to moderate Christians, moderate Jesus. Let's tone it down, guys. Okay, we're here for Passover. You're being very loud. Okay, you're, you're, you're very bold. You're very confident. You're very passionate in your celebration of Jesus. In fact, we literally see a narrative of this in Luke, that as Jesus is drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude, this is Luke's version, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. What a great vision of what worship should look like here on Sunday morning. We're not here for the worship songs or the worship feels. We're here to celebrate Jesus. Like we come in here and we sing because we get to celebrate Jesus and who he is and what he's done. We celebrate him. And we sing with loud voices. We're not sung to. We sing together we, we, because of Jesus. And they have these loud voices, and they're celebrating him for all the mighty works that they had seen him do. It's been well said that, like, theology and spiritual experience is the best worship leader. The best worship leader is a personal relationship with God. And you see who he is and how he works in your lives, and you, and you can't help but worship. So that's what's happening. And they're singing that, that, that same psalm there, Psalm 118. And then some of the Pharisees, they're going to moderate the celebration. This is getting out of hand. This is loud. This is boisterous. This is rambunctious. This doesn't fit into our religious system. There's too much passion, too much love. And they call to Jesus and they say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. We thought that your ministry was one where you don't, you're not in the spotlight trying to seek public praise. Jesus rebuked them. Jesus goes, well, here's the thing. My hour's come. And so you know Jesus' response here? Have you heard of this verse? This is, this is the one. Come on, this is that verse that you've always heard of, but you never knew what it was in the Bible. Check it out. 
He answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, that the stones would immediately cry out. Like the more you try to silence their celebration, the louder it's going to be. This is, by the way, the testimony of the church throughout the centuries. Okay, the more that the church is sought, uh, people seek to silence Christians and their praise and their worship, the louder it gets. Okay, and, I don't, and I'm not talking about like your American trials. Okay, like I'm, I feel bad for some of the challenges we're facing, but I'm talking about parts of the world where you are literally physically silenced where you are jailed, you are, you're condemned as a criminal for, for celebrating Jesus. And it's in those contexts like China, where they estimate like 2,000, like, like every hour they say like 2,000 people are getting saved. There's revival happening, because when you try to squeeze the, even the rocks are going to cry out. And, and there's a great picture here too, like Jesus is saying the time has come to praise and celebrate, so you can't moderate it, you've just got to join in with it. Um, and, and it's almost like there's so much praise that's due the name of Jesus that's been reserved and stored up that it's going to have to come through creation if it's not going to come through God's people. Just such a, a beautiful image here of Jesus receiving the praise that's due his name. The, the Pharisees tried to silence them, but then I, John tells us that this is what they said. I love this. They just hang their heads in defeat and walk home. You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him, Okay. And can I just say, like, there, there's no putting a stop to the worship of Jesus. Um, even if today the whole world is not going after him, the whole world is towards him. Everything is towards him. Join the party now. We're here to celebrate Jesus. He's going to be celebrated for all of eternity. He's the king. He's the one we've come to rejoice in. And I just want to ask you, like, is this a part of your current Christian experience? Would you say that you are someone who celebrates Jesus? There's education, and then there's celebration. Like, is that you? Are, you? are you like, I can't wait to be with God's people this Sunday so I can celebrate Jesus? I mean, there's something so significant about that. I love this psalm. Look at Psalm 8, uh, 89, 15, and 17. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, Lord. They rejoice in your name all day long. They celebrate your righteousness. For you are their glory and their strength. We praise you, God. By your favor, you exalt our horn. Do you know people like this? They're just filled with the joy of the Lord because they know how to celebrate Jesus. They're centered on who he is and what he's done. Amen? Hey, I got one more for you. As I invite the band to come up, we're gonna transition to our closing time here with this last thing. And it's one verse I wanna close with. We see the particip or rather the preparation of Jesus' arrival there with that cult. We see the celebration of his arrival by the people and then we get to what we'll call the culmination of this moment. And in the culmination, I want to hearken back to, real quick, the psalm that these people are praising over Jesus. When they're celebrating him, they're celebrating him out of Psalm 118 with the word Hosanna, which is a prayer of Hallel, which simply means, save us now. It's a, it's a, a cry of urgency for salvation. In Psalm 118, your Bibles will literally say, save now, Lord, and send prosperity. And so that, that's what's happening here. I mean, hopefully by now, there's been enough buildup to your like, this is an epic moment. They're crying out for his salvation. They're all there. And, and I imagine as he enters Jerusalem, they're calling for him to save. The Savior is here. We can say save now. And they're watching to see what he does. What, what does the king do? 
Jesus goes into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This reminds me of that scene in Forrest Gump where he's like, I'm tired. I think I'll go home now. Anybody? Jesus looks around at the temple. I mean, big coronation ceremony. Save now, save now. Jesus comes in. Savior's here. Looks around at the temple. We're going to talk about that next week. He looks at his watch. I'm going to hit the hay. I'm going to head in, guys. Hey, thanks for the party. God bless. Okay. There's a reason why the vast majority of these people who are celebrating Jesus, crying Hosanna, are crying crucify him in just five days. Five days from this moment, the same people who are saying save now, save now, are saying crucify him crucify him. Their celebration was conditional. They were celebrating Jesus based on the condition that they would do what they were expecting him to do. That they would answer their prayer the way that they want him to answer it. Lord, save now. Do this thing I'm asking you to do. Now, in their minds, the salvation they were asking for was circumstantial. It was political. But Jesus came to meet a, a much greater need. Um, Jesus, as I said, is making his way. This is really interesting. He's making his way into Jerusalem alongside caravans of other people that are bringing, the number again is up to 250,000 lambs that are going to be sacrificed. And all along, here's Jesus, the Lamb of God, coming into Jerusalem with all these other lambs. He's coming to bring salvation, not the way that they would expect it, but the way that God knows they need it. We know this, that John the Baptist says to Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God. Here's Jesus. He's a king. And he wants to invite us into a relationship with him through peace. And, and to do so, he gives up his life as the Lamb of God to take upon himself our sins, for our sins and our guilt to be removed and imputed upon him, to be placed upon him, for him to be guilty of that sin as the Lamb as the priest would confer that, as the priest would transfer ceremonially the sins of the people to that sacrifice, Jesus is going to go and he's going to hang, he's going to bleed at the cry of these same people. He's going to die to take into himself their sin and their guilt so that they can be forgiven of their sin, so that they could be made new through him, so that they could truly be saved. Saved. Saved in the way that we ultimately need, which is from our sin and from our separation from God. This is what Jesus came to do. This is the culmination of his arrival. It's anticlimactic, but oftentimes, let me say this, and how many of us know this to be true? Oftentimes, it can be the most mundane moments in life that we overlook that really contain the most significant stuff. And we could be praying right now, God, answer me this way. God, answer me that way. And maybe what we need to do is, like, like these people needed to, just trust, trust that there's more to the story than what you can see. Even if it feels like God's not answering your prayer, trust that he knows better. Trust that the way he's going to provide for you is more.
could ever imagine. And there's no need for us to turn our hearts away from you can turn to 